When life is easy and good, it's easy to forget that this world is not our home. Paul reminds the church for the second time in this letter that our citizenship is not in this world. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Well, good morning, everybody. And I am so pleased to see so many people sitting right up front. They were forced to. But no, we're so glad to have you here and glad to see you filling up the front part of the church and making room for visitors. In in faith, we're believing that God's going to fill the back chairs. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And so this morning, I just want to uh, tell you some good news. The U.S. News and World Report has declared Canada the number one country in the world. Some are like, who cares? <laughs> well, because, first of all, that's a good question. Uh, we are number one in quality of life and number one in social purpose. And so this country is uh, supposedly a great place to become a citizen. I asked Inquan Park to send me a picture of uh, his, now where did it go? There he is. There is Inquan and Jiyun and Joanna and Daniel, and this is the day of their becoming U.S. citizens. Jiyun and Inquan look happy about it. <laughs> Not sure about Daniel and Joanne, but there they are. They're citizens of the country, and uh, Inquan was just telling us at our board meeting just uh, how wonderful it is to be a citizen of Canada. You become a citizen of Canada, you enjoy all the benefits of Canadian citizenship, citizenship, and you enjoy the basic freedoms and human rights that all Canadians enjoy. You can practice your religion freely, so far. (laughs) You will live in a country governed by laws, and there's checks and balances in place. There's low crime, relative safety, peace and happiness, and, of course, health care is paid by your taxes. Some people talk about free, free health care. How many know it's not free? We are actually paying for that. Now, that's some of the benefits. But some of the re- responsibilities is that you do have to pay taxes. And your allegiance has got to be to Canada. And this may surprise some of you, but it also has to be to the sovereign who is our queen. Did you, did you know that? Yeah, I mean, I know that June and Inquan will know that, but, but a lot of Canadians born here don't know that. Um, you have to abide by the Constitution and the laws of this country, 
And uh, you definitely have to seek to be a good citizen. Well, what on earth could be better than being a Canadian citizenship? And don't say be an American citizen. Please don't say that. What could be better than being a Canadian citizen? Well, Paul tells us it's the citizenship that is in heaven that is by far, by far more important and far better. When you become a Christian, folks, here's what you need to know. You become a citizen of heaven. And that's what Paul says here in this next section that we're going through this morning. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're gonna talk more about the citizenship that you and I enjoy in, in just a bit. But first of all, let me say this. The Apostle Paul mentions citizenship three times in this letter. And of course, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that the Apostle Paul was talking about his right to brag about what a wonderful uh, Jew that he was. And he said one of the things on his list is that he was a true citizen of Israel. He says this in chapter 3, verse 5. But he tells us two more times that... There's a better citizenship, a citizenship that is better than Israeli citizenship, and that is a citizenship that is in heaven. So we read it here in Philippians 3, verse 20, and then we read it again in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Do you know, in my own personal walk with God, in my own personal understanding of who I am as a Christian, this, this idea of citizenship has really helped me understand who I really am as a, as a follower of Christ. This world, as my grandmother used to say all the time, is not my home. She, she would say, I, I don't belong here. I'm an alien in this world. How many know today that you are aliens? And if you don't believe me, just look around. <laughs> we're surrounded by aliens. Yes, we, don't, we're, we are citizens of heaven. This world is not our home. Now, I'm gonna tell you something. This, medicine, this, this uh, message of of heavenly citizenship is really quite a subversive message. And it was seen as a threat to Caesar. It was seen as a threat to the government of the day. So why is it important then to remind the Philippians that they are citizens of heaven? Why is that so important? And what is it that God wants us to understand about being Christians in this world. Remember in John 17, Jesus said, God, I, my Father, I'm praying that you keep these little ones, that is the disciples, the followers of Christ, that you, you keep them. They're not of this world, but they're in this world. Does everybody understand the difference between being of the world and in the world? If you're of the world, that means you're going to be like the world. You're going to be like the people of this world. But, you're, but, but that's not the case. As Christians, we are in this world, but we're not of it. So we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But here's the thing. If you and I are going to emerge as victorious Christians, that is, if we're, gonna, if we're going to be able to live this Christian life and live a life that is pleasing to God, then we have to take to heart this simple fact. We are not citizens of this world. This world is not our home. We are not citizens here. And we are not to be like the people of this world. Does everybody get that? We are not to be like the people of this world. 
Well, the question is this. When people look at you and observe you and listen to you speak and watch the way you, you, you carry yourself, do they see you as different or do they think that you're just like them? Now, I, can't, I can't state this enough, the importance of understanding this. We are different. We're not like the world. So you may have come to church this morning thinking that you are, in fact, living as citizens of heaven. You believe that with all your heart. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that things are not right in your life or in your family. Things are not right in your marriage. Things are just not measuring up the way they should measure up. The fact is, is that your life could be described as a mess. Well, you, you didn't come here today to be condemned or judged. That's not what I'm doing. What I want to do, though, is I want to help you fix what's wrong in your life. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wants to do for the Philippians. He wants to fix what's wrong. Now, before you could fix what's wrong, you need to know what is wrong. You need to know what the problem is. And so often, we don't know what the problem is. We don't know why our marriage is a mess. We don't know why our kids are a mess. We don't know why our grandkids are a mess. We don't know what happened. You may say, I, I raised my kids as Christians, and, and, my, and, the, and the new daughters or sons-in-law, we thought they were Christians. We thought they were followers of Christ, but it's just not working out. What is going wrong? Well, Here's what Paul's doing. He's helping the believers in Philippi to understand how they can be victorious as Christians. And of course, it's through Christ. But he's also showing how easy it is to get off track. And in fact, as we are going to see in just a moment, how we can very easily become enemies of the, Christ, of, of the cross. So here's the thing. Paul says... My dear brothers and sisters, you're under attack. How many know today that as Christians, we are under attack until we, we leave this world? Does everybody understand that? Now, some of you think, well, Pastor Allen, you're being a little overdramatic here. Well, you know what? You may think that or believe that because we live in Canada where we still have a vestige of freedom, but we're quickly moving to the place where so many in the rest of the world are, where there is no freedom of religion, where you're not free to practice your Christianity. So here's what you need to know. We are, in fact, under attack. Now, let me just share with you some of the ways that we are under attack. First of all, we're under attack from within, on the inside. Every one of us understands what it is to battle with personal temptations. Does anybody here not know what it's like to battle personal temptations? Because if you're one of those people today that does not battle personal temptations, I would like you to come up here and finish my sermon because you know something I don't know. As long as we're on this planet, we're going to face this temptation. And the Apostle Paul is addressing this, isn't he, in his message. He, he talks about the fact that there's times when they're very proud, they're very arrogant, they want to be first. And this is why in chapter 2, Paul holds up Jesus Christ as an example of somebody who's, who's ultimately the most humble of all, he's dealing with the fact that some of them are experiencing despair and gloom and fear. 
If you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, then you should have your fear under control. In fact, you shouldn't be fearful. What you need to be is dependent on Jesus Christ. That too is a temptation. You didn't know that. The temptation to despair or the temptation to be fearful. We are called to trust in the Lord. And so there's so many ways that we battle. The temptation to be self-centered, put myself first, look out for number one, and the temptation to be to walk in arrogance. I know better than anybody else. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm brilliant. I'm educated. I'm self-made man. I have, I have learned things that nobody else has learned. If you want to really know the answers to life, look to me. This is, this is what the people of Philippi were like. But the second battle that they're facing is the battle of the culture. Now, remember, Philippi is actually... Uh, a Roman colony. It's a, it's a place where Roman ideas freely flowed and where the people worshiped the gods of Rome. And if you've ever done a study on the gods of Rome, you know of the evil and the wickedness of these Roman religions and these Roman gods. In fact, they even worshiped Caesar. They worshiped the man as though he were God. And so this is something that the Christians in Philippi have to deal with. And by the way, it's very similar to what we're dealing with today. We're dealing with the ideas of this world. We're combating constantly. And our young people are growing up in this culture that has a, a message that's diametrically opposed to the Christian message. This is what our kids are dealing with. And that's what the, look, there's nothing new under the sun. You sit here today and think, well, you know, if I lived in the Apostle Paul's day, it'd be so much easier Wrong. Uh, wrong answer. There's nothing new under the sun. So as long as we're on this planet, we're going to face our own personal temptations and battles. You're going to face the battles of this world. And the, here's the other thing. You're going to battle the temptations of, of joining a political party. Now you say, Pastor John, what are you talking about here? Well, the fact is, is that there were politics in the church at Philippi, and we, we addressed this a few weeks ago. There's a battle going on between uh, a couple of, of women in the church, and, and the battle lines are drawn, and people are, have to choose which side are we on. Hey, I don't know if you noticed this, but through this whole time of COVID, when there's battles going on in many churches about vac- getting the vax versus anti-vax, and, and, and then there's the whole woke issue and the Black Lives Matter, and it was on and on and on, and I had people phoning me, and when are you going to address this? We have to speak up on this. We've got to deal with this. And you know what I told everybody? Do you remember what I said? I said, everybody, shut up. Yep. Stop telling me what your opinions are. I don't care what your opinions are. There's one thing that unites us, and it's our faith in Jesus Christ. It's looking to Christ. That's what unites us. If you have opinions on things, I don't care, and I don't want to hear them. And when you come to church on Sunday, you're not going to hear my opinion. You're only going to hear what the Word of God says. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's who we are. That's what we're about. So you're going to have all kinds of battles. And these poor Philippians, man, they're inner battles of temptation, the external attacks of the culture. There's even a battle in the church. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he is feeling the pressure that his beloved Philippians are experiencing. 
So, here's how Paul describes the problem. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame and mindset with mindset on earthly things. Let's take a quick walk through this, this laundry list of problems that face the church and, in fact, face every believer. Remember, there's nothing new under the sun. So Paul says that there are people in the church who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is obviously talking about people who were at one time professing Christians. These are people that at one time were part of the body of Christ. They, they would have taken communion with the other believers. They would have shared in the, in the potluck suppers, and they were, part of, they were on the serving team, and they were, they were involved in the church, but now they are living as enemies of the cross. And perhaps some of them were still in the church. Some of the people that he's talking about here who are living as enemies of the cross are still in the church. Hey, can I just remind everybody of something? If you're not pursuing Christ, if you're not denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus, you have set yourself up as an enemy of the cross. So the question today is this, are you living as an enemy of the cross or are you living as a friend of Jesus Christ, a friend of the cross, a friend of the church? Paul, as he says this, he says, with, with, uh, I, as I speak to you, I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. In the Greek, he says, I speak weeping. So you get, you get the, the sense of the grief that this has caused him. And the Apostle Paul would probably have known many of these peoples who are now living as enemies of the cross. It breaks his heart. Can I tell you something as a pastor? The thing that breaks my heart is exactly the same thing that breaks the Apostle Paul's heart, is these people that he's known, these people that he's loved, these people whose lives he has embraced, these people who, who he's poured his life into now are living not as friends, but as enemies. They're enemies of the Apostle Paul. They're enemies of the church. They're enemies of Christ. It, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. If anybody asked me what would be the most difficult thing you faced in ministry over 40 years, it would be that thing. That's the thing that, 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 that breaks me. That's the thing that makes me feel like, you know what? I'm ready to retire. I, I can't do it anymore. I can, I can take a lot. I can do a lot. I've done a lot for many, many years. But it's that thing. After you've invested in somebody's life, you've loved them, you've embraced them as a brother or a sister, and then they turn around and they say, I don't believe you, I don't like what you say, I don't want any part of what you're saying, I have a different belief system, I have different values, I have a different approach. And I'm saying, look, at your, it's, not your, it's not like you're going against, against Alan Duncalf, you're going against the cross of Christ. Understand that today. The thing that unites us and makes us one, as we'll read further on, is the fact that we are united on the same thing, and that is on Christ and his cross. And what does that mean? It's deny yourself. It's follow Christ. It's humble yourself. Arrogance and pride. Massive problem. And that's why Paul devotes almost a whole second chapter to, to discussing what real humility is. It's being like Jesus. So 
These people, they no longer pursue Christ passionately. They've rejected Christ's cross-centered suffering. The fact of the matter is, folks, is that they love their old citizenship better than the, the new citizenship. Do you get that? They love the old citizenship. They don't want any rules. They don't want any regulation. They don't want anything that, that gives them structure or discipline. Don't talk to me about discipline. Don't talk to me about habits. Don't talk to me about do's and don'ts. Let me do whatever I want. If that's the life you want to live, my friends, then go back to your old citizenship. But the new citizenship of heaven says that you follow Jesus Christ in obedience to his command. You deny yourself. You take up your cross, and you follow Jesus. Jesus. That is what it means, my friends, to be victorious in your Christian life. You can't live like the world anymore. You don't. That's not an option. And then Paul says this. He says something very, very unpopular today. He says, their end is destruction. You see that? You remember the time when, when I was growing up, Pastor Barber talked about hell in almost every single sermon. You don't want to hear about that. I have a cousin who, when she was in town here, this is a few years ago, she says, I can't stand it when pastors talk about hell. I can't stand that when they talk about that. My friends, Jesus spoke about hell far more than he ever spoke about heaven. Do you understand that? Why? Because he wants us to understand the consequences of our life. And someone says, I don't, I, when I hear about wrath, the wrath of God, it doesn't sound like he's a loving God. My friends, the wrath of God is part of the evidence of his love. God will discipline those who deserve it. If there's no hell for Adolf Hitler or for Stalin or for the many others who have done great and heinous things in, in history, then... We're hopeless indeed. But never mind them. Paul is telling us clearly that judgment is coming. Eternal damnation is coming for those who deny the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I don't like talking about hell. I, I hate talking about, about eternal damnation and destruction. That's the last thing I want to talk about. I don't like the subject. In fact, if I could somehow... If I could somehow come up with an alternative, I would try to do that. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is the teaching of the New Testament. And I promised you, when you come to Cross Church, I'm going to preach to you what the Scripture says and not what I want to say. So we need to understand that. And for those of us who have been born again, those of us who have been converted, we understand that, that we are free of eternal damnation and destruction. We have been set free. We have been saved for eternity. That's the good news. Now, we used to, we used to preach the sobering doctrine all the time. And we did that to help people consider their lifestyle, to help people consider their citizenship. Are you a citizen of this world or a citizen of the world to come? Well, Paul goes on to talk about the fact that their God, that's God with a small g, not a capital G, their God is their belly. What's he talking about? He's talking about about sensuality, the pleasures of the stomach. It was not just the pleasures of the stomach. It was sensual appetites and delights that replaced the Lord Jesus Christ and literally 
these delights became their God. We call this idolatry. Has anybody ever heard of that? And now in case you're wondering, because I, I don't think anybody's got little idols in their house, they better not or you're in big trouble. <laughs> An idol, very simply, is this. It's, it's anything or anyone that you love more than God or that you want more than God or that you desire more than God or that you enjoy more than God or that you treasure more than God. And it could be a girlfriend, it could be a boyfriend, it could be good grades in school, it could be a hobby, a sport, it could be sex, it could be, I've seen people idolize even their children. It could be your reputation, you want to be known as a great person, a great man, a great woman, you want to make a name for yourself, status, but probably money is is the number one idol that most people are dealing with. Well, this is what Paul is saying. These people who have rejected the cross, the suffering of the cross, these people who have rejected Christ, now they've got a new God, and it's the things of this world. It's their appetites. The pursuit of, of creature comforts can very, very easily displace the pursuit of Christ and his cross. And this is why, my friends, immigrating to Canada can be one of the most dangerous things you'll do in your whole life. It is so easy here in the West to forget about God. And I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen people come from third world countries, coming to Canada and getting caught up in the creature comforts in the race for making money to the point now where they've forgotten all about the God whom they prayed to to help them get here in the first place. Right? And so Paul's warning us, if you're going to be a citizen of heaven, if you're going to get your mess sorted out in your life, the mess that's been created because you forgot your citizenship, well, here's the things you need to consider. You've let, your, you've let your appetites take first place, and you have now begun to follow your idols. But be, beware of anything, any pleasure that hinders your passionate love for Christ. It's got to be the number one thing in your life. And by the way, those of you who are here this morning, this is one of the indications of your great love of Christ. You've come to be with the body of Christ. You've come to share and to worship the Christ who died on the cross. Well, then Paul says, they glory in their shame. What's he talking about? Well, this refers again to sensual excesses, especially sexual ones, and the immoral practices of the, the, the pagans of Philippi. That's, that's what we're talking about. In those days, and it still happens today, but especially in those days, there was all kinds of fertility gods, and you can just imagine, use your imagination as to how they would worship these fertility gods and the acts that they would engage in. It was a common thing, and the Apostle Paul has to deal with this with the church in Corinth. Engaging in sexual activity as part of the worship experience. And not ashamed of it, but glorying in it. 
repeating it to one another. Guess where I was today? I went to worship my God. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The horrible thing. And Paul's calling it out. And it's hard to believe, my friends, that there would be people who call themselves Christians that would be sharing in this. And yet it happened. And it happens. It's happening today. One of the things on our prayer list every Tuesday night is we're praying for those who are struggling with the pornography pandemic. And it has affected many, many people who call themselves Christians. My friends, if you listen to any TV talk show host or any, any comedian, they're going to mock it and joke about it, about how they love to engage in this. Malcolm Muggridge, back in the 60s, said, sex is the religion of a materialistic society, and with it, it carries its own mysteries. This is, this is what we are now facing here in 2022. We live in a materialistic country, and our religion is sex. That's what it's come down to. Paul says that these people have their minds set on earthly things. Their whole inner disposition is governed by the sphere of sin. Now, let me just explain what I mean by that. All the decisions you make, all the things you do, the way you spend your money, it's all, it all hinges on pleasure that comes from the things of this world. We call them temporal things. Why do we call it temporal? Because of the root word of temporal is the word temporary. It's only here for a short time, and then it's gone. Listen, as Christians, as citizens of heaven, we are part of an eternal kingdom. Our hearts and our minds, our focus is on the Christ of eternity. And so I have to ask you again, is your heart set on earthly things or the things of this world? And this is what our culture tells us all the time. I remember when uh, one of the... One of the uh, Investment companies started advertising 55, Freedom 55. Does anybody remember that? That came out back uh, almost maybe 20 years ago, maybe more than that. And that became then the ambition of, of every young, struggling family. We, we've got to retire when we're 55. I somehow missed all that. <laughs> but that was, that was the ambition. They, they changed their mindset from that which is eternal to that which is earthly. And of course, we all understand what the pleasures of this world offer. But Paul says, as citizens of heaven, the things of this world should not hold sway over you. They don't, in other words, they don't control you. What controls you? Jesus Christ and his spirit at work within you. Thanks be to God, we are not left to try to figure this out ourselves. God has given us, through Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to enable us, to empower us to live the life that he's called us to live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And more than that, he's given us his word. It tells us clearly what we should and shouldn't do. Don't be an enemy of the cross. Understand what your end is. Your end is destruction if you're not if you're not a citizen of heaven. Don't worship idols. Don't glory in, in, in sensuality and sexuality. 
Get your mind set on things above. Wow. So what is the solution? How do we stand firm? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says again. He says in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who will walk or who walk according to the example that uh, that you have in us. So Paul is saying, and it sounds like, uh, like this guy's an egomaniac. Well, he's not. Remember that. He, he, all the things that he gloried in before, he says, I don't glory in them anymore. I count them as dung, I, meaningless. There's only one thing that's important to me, and that's to know Christ and to share with him in his suffering that I may too share in the resurrection. So Paul is saying, as somebody who lives like that, he says, I want you to imitate me. Now, Can I just remind everybody today, if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a disciple maker. Does that make sense? That's your job, is to make disciples. But it's also to be disciples. And so Paul says, what you need to do is you need to follow those who could set an example. And Paul says, imitate me. Now, he's not an egomaniac, but he's saying, as he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul says, as I'm imitating Christ, I want you to imitate me. Do what I do. Say what I say. Be like me. There's no arrogance or pride here. He's saying, if you want to be a true citizen of heaven, then I'm going to show you how to do that. Because I'm living as a citizen of heaven. You can start acting like me. Now, you can act like me, or you can watch the example of Epaphroditus and Timothy. We read about them in chapter 2. We talked about these men of great worth. He says, watch them, do what they do. When I entered the ministry, I had only really one example in the ministry, and that was Pastor Barber. He was my pastor. And the one thing about Pastor Barber is that he was always available to us. In fact, I knew people that would phone him in the middle of the night. Uh, I never did. In fact, I, I think maybe I went to see him maybe once or maybe twice in my entire life with a problem. And, uh, but he, that was his thing, open door. Even when he's, even whatever, he's always got this open door and you're always available. And I've d- tried to do the same thing. I watched his example. So anybody in this church knows that if you need to get the pastor, you can reach him anytime. Many of you have my phone number. Don't give it out. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But Paul says, watch us. Watch us. Do what we're doing. You know, I, I, have, I have, over the years, I've had, the idea of making mentor, or being a mentor and, and having mentorees, this goes back now some 20 years. I remember we did a, a thing with the pastors and talked about how to be great mentors. And the thing that I experienced so often was that those who wanted to be mentored actually didn't want to be mentored. We want to be mentored. We like the idea of being mentored. So you say, okay, well, let me tell you a few things that you need to fix. Oh, hold on a minute here. Now you're, now you're meddling. <laughs> I don't want you to meddle. I want you just to be my mentor. Didn't want to actually hear the truth. Just, just tell me what I want to hear. And I found so often these people who want to be mentored are easily offended. But here's the thing that Paul, so Paul is saying. He said, you need to humble yourself and pay attention. You need to have the, the attitude and the, uh, the heart of, of a learner of somebody who's willing to learn, somebody who's willing to ask questions, somebody who's willing to listen and learn. So then Paul says, he says, again, we're repeating this verse, but our citizenship is in heaven. So you're going to live as a citizen of heaven. And Paul tells us that we need to be 
self-consciously imitating the citizens of heaven. Paul's a citizen of heaven, Epaphroditus, Timothy, these are citizens of heaven. Self-consciously watch them and think about how they're living and do the same thing. Paul says, that's why you need to imitate me, but you need to think about it. When Gloria and I went to Greece, actually I went to Athens for a year, then I phoned her, and I left in August, I phoned her in January, I said, will you marry me? And she said, well, it depends. No, she did it. She said, yes. She said, yes, I'll marry you. And, uh, and so together we went to the city of Thessaloniki. And we, we learned how to be Greeks. We didn't try to maintain our Canadian citizenship in the sense that we went and we said, well, we're not Greeks, we're Canadians, and we're not going to change our ways. We went there, and the first thing we tried to do is we started to learn the language. You're going to live in Greece, you got to learn to speak Greek. Now, don't ask me to speak Greek now because it's been over 25 years. I, but I tell you, when I have a dream, and I sometimes have a dream in Greek, my Greek is perfect. <laughs> I, can, I have the most perfect Greek. The accent is just, you would be so amazed. I wish you could come to my dream and hear me speak Greek. That's the first thing we did. We learned to, we learned to speak the language. And we didn't just learn to speak the language, but we learned their habits. So there's a time in Greece called mesimeri, uh, which means afternoon, or more, more specifically, it means quiet time, from two to five. Now, the Greeks are pretty easygoing about everything. When it comes to mesimeri, you better keep your mouth shut and don't make a noise, or you are going to hear about it. We saw, we saw fights break out because people's messy meddy was being interrupted. And you might call it a siesta, but there it's messy meddy. You go, to, you go lie down in your bed. It's quiet time. Nobody talks. And in fact, you go to work early in the morning. You come home, have a nap, and then you go back to work. It's the weirdest thing I ever saw. But we learned how to do that. And sometimes I wish I could still do that. <laughs> but I'm not in Greece anymore, am I? <laughs> And then, of course, there's the mannerisms. So if you want to say no, you do what the Greeks do. And if you want to be emphatic, then you get your lips involved. I can speak this fluently. And if you really want to be emphatic, then you go, can you do that? That means no. Or the eyebrows. No. And a real, real strong no is. We learned how to be Greeks. Now, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Imitate me. Do what I'm doing. You'll learn how to be a citizen of heaven. And we would say further, if you want to learn how to be a citizen of heaven, then you need to watch your pastor. I'm not saying I'm perfect. And I don't have ego attached to this. But this is what I said to my children. Now, remember I said, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple maker. If you're a parent today, your job is to disciple your parent, your children. And it doesn't stop. My kids now are young adults. They're, and, and they're disciplined, very disciplined. They're followers of Jesus Christ. And yet I still see myself as, 
as the one who's discipling them, teaching them how to follow Christ, teaching them how to be obedient to Christ, teaching them how to continue on, to be persevering Christians, following Christ, so that someday they will inherit eternal life. This is what we do, folks. As Christians, we are disciple-makers. So, we, as citizens of heaven, we owe our allegiance to another kingdom. Paul's, let me just read to you what Paul says in Philippians 1.27. It's basically the same thing. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember, we said, we've said this over and over again. We live according to this new constitution. By the way, do you remember when we did this sermon series called the Sermon on the Mount? And one of the things we said is that the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom of God. If you want to know how people in the kingdom of God live, read the Sermon on the Mount and do what it says. That's, that's what we're talking about. And your allegiance is, is, is to Christ. It's the gospel about Christ. That's who, you're, that's who you have, have aligned yourself with. Not, not a political party, not a political leader, not, not political ideas, not philosophical ideas, not sports leaders, not entertainment leaders. Jesus Christ is the one that we align ourselves with. He's the one that we imitate. And folks, it means even that we are involved in, in advancing the kingdom of God through our gifts and our giving. When we ask you to give, it's so that we can continue advancing God's kingdom. That's who we are. We're citizens of this, of this eternal kingdom. You know that your taxes go towards funding our, our military? Now, we have a different fight, and here's what Paul says here. Like, understand that, that we are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, doing what? Fighting together for the faith. Remember, you're citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and we are also involved in this battle, this spiritual battle. Only thing is, is that we don't fight with swords and cannons and guns. What do we do? We fight by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, because wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forth, it kills demonic influence. It kills injustice. It kills unfairness. And we see that, so we've seen it over and over again. And that's what you and I are part of. So Paul says what you have to do if you're going to live as a citizen of heaven, if you're going to solve the, the mess which is your life right now, then you've got to imitate, imitate uh, Paul, that is, be a true citizen of heaven. And then thirdly, you've got to keep your hope alive. So here's what, here's what we read here. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many people are waiting Jesus Christ's return? This, is, this was something that we heard growing up all the time. Isn't that right, Marilyn? You remember that? That's, that was the sermons we heard all the time growing up. Jesus is coming again. But we've forgotten about that now. We just kind of quite like the world we live in right now, we've got a bit of utopia, a bit of heaven right here and right now, and we've got heaven now, we don't need a, a heaven to come. But Paul says, hey, as citizens of heaven, we are waiting for Christ. That's where our hope is. I love what it says in Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming. Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. That is, those who nailed his, his hands and his feet to the cross. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. 
Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Are you waiting for Christ? Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For the judge... For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself, and he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses, and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. The nations consist of people who are citizens of those nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Folks, this is the kingdom we belong to, and this is our king. This is the one to whom we pledge our allegiance. This is the one to whom we say, what is it, Lord? Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. This is who we are as followers of Christ. So I ask you again this morning, are you living as citizens of heaven or are you enemies of the cross? Paul concludes this passage with these words, Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, it may seem right now like Satan is winning the battle. It may seem like that. It may seem like Satan is winning the battle for your children or for your marriage. It may seem like that Satan is winning the battle for your job, for your health. But understand this, for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors because Christ has already won the battle. What do you and I have to do then in the meantime? Live as citizens of heaven. He tells us how to do that. Imitate Godly men, the godly leaders, follow them. Listen, do as they ask you to do. Live as a people who have pledged their allegiance to Christ. Put your hope in Christ and put your hope in heaven because the day is coming, my friends, when you and I are going to be ushered into his presence and we will be given what we call glorified bodies. We talk about being sanctified through the course of our whole life by the power of the Holy Spirit and with the word. We talk about being justified, made right with God through Jesus Christ. But the day is coming when we will also be glorified and we will have bodies like Jesus Christ. This is our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. The hope of heaven is a day is coming when we will be glorified and be like Jesus. That's the power of the resurrection Jesus Christ was the first one raised from the dead. He is the first fruits. And you and I who have put our faith in Christ, we're next in line. The day is coming. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please?
Let's, let's pray. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52, Paul tells the Corinthian believers, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, transformed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, where the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today that you have not left us as strangers in this world that don't know where to go, what to do, or how to survive. Father, this church is a colony of heaven. It's the safe place in a mad world that hates God, that hates Christ, that hates the gospel, that hates the church, that hates the truth. This is the place, O oh God, where we come as citizens of heaven. This is the place that we come and, and weekly pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ. This is the place we come every week and are reminded of what we need to do to live as true citizens of heaven. God, a prayer this morning for each believer here today and for each one who's with us by live stream is that each one would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as true citizens of heaven. And so, Father, with our, with our hearts surrendered to you, with our eyes focused on Christ, we pray, continue your work in us, sanctifying us, because we're looking forward to the day of glorification, the day when we'll be like Jesus. So we thank you, and we pray this for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, you're a citizen of heaven.